Welcome to 21st Century Boys. I'm Joe Crawford, and tonight we have a very special guest with us. We've got Kirk Spencer. He's been on here with us before. How are you doing tonight, Kirk? I am doing just fine. How are you? I'm doing good. I've read like four comics and eight tacos, so you can never complain when that happens. That sounds like a perfect day. Right? So what we're going to do first, um, we're going to kind of just do a quick little what did we read thing, and then we're just going to chit-chat for a little while, and we'll give you a little bit of deeper in-depth in into what makes Mr. Spencer Kirk, or what makes Kirk Mr. Spencer, however you want to look at it. So, um, let's see. I You said you got a flip book read, so what it will do is I'll give you – I read four not knowing what in the world I was going to pick, so what I'll do is I'll just tell you about two, then you can do your – both sides of your flip book, then I'll do my other two, and then we'll roll. How's that sound? That sounds like a plan. All right, so let's do the one I was most intrigued by. This one came out, I want to say, last year. It was it was a COVID book, and it was a super hot book. I don't think I have the first printing, and that's Nottingham, number one by Mad Cave. Uh, it was one of those that was really hard to come by for a while. And funnily enough, I think now you can get the Nottingham reprint super cheap, uh, because I think they did their version of a dollar book. Um, and I think it was also their free comic book day. But basically what it is, they, they, they're looking at the, of course, the mythos of Robin Hood. And it's mostly told from the sheriff's perspective. Robin's kind of a jerk. And, um, the sheriff is out to find out who's causing these robberies. They catch Will Scarlet because they, they find out that uh, whoever's doing everything is a, is a ginger. And needless to say, Will Scarlet is not the main protagonist. So Robin finds that he's been captured and he goes after Will. And I'm not sure that it's going to end well for Mr. Will Scarlet. Did you ever read that one, Kirk? I have not read it. I, I hear good things about it, but I think I ordered number one. Okay. It got, it got buried in a box somewhere, and right. I can't confirm that I have it, and I didn't want to dig into the series later on. I wanted to read number one first. Yeah, I've got the first four, because like I said, there for a while it was the hot book, and I was very much in um, uh, FOMO mode. And uh, I think I bought two through four well before I got issue one, and I got one of the reprints, because it was one of those that, number one, just kept getting reprinted and reprinted and reprinted. And um, I finally got it and then just sat on it for forever because then I got in my head like, I wonder if it's even going to be any good. Because uh, I don't know about you, but some of the these these cash books that are real hot when you actually get them, they're not always that great. Yes, that happens and, a lot. Yeah. And this this was actually pretty enjoyable. So um, I'm going to dig into the other three uh, pretty soon. Maybe not uh, right away. You never know with me. Sometimes I'll I'll binge through some and then sometimes I'll read issue two so far away from issue one that I can't even remember what happened. But uh, that's usually what happens to me. <laughs> the next one up was a this is one I pulled out of the dollar bin, I'm pretty sure. Usually I can remember where I got these, but this is one um I think I got on a I've got a couple of these where I think I pulled them from a dollar bin, but I don't want to swear to it because I had like a Couple that I got from a weird place. We got, normally I can be like, ooh, I got this from Comic Rack or one of the stores around here, but we hit a GameStop really close to a, a 
a shopping trip to one of my comic stores, Dollar Bins, and the GameStop had a lot of weird stuff in it. So I don't remember if this came from GameStop or from one of the comic stores. But anyway, that's going to be true of the next couple I talk about. Actually, I think all three, I'm not sure where they came from. Sorry, Mystery, mystery Comics. Yeah. Anyway, they're either from GameStop or um, uh, Tim's Corner in Rock Island. I don't know. So came from somewhere in Illinois, regardless. This one is Lady Rawhide, Other People's Blood, number one. Um, it starts really strange. There's a woman who's, like, kind of being, like, the gist of it is I think they're going to do something unsavory with her two guys on this ship. But then she starts talking about vampires, and I got really confused. I couldn't tell what in the world was going on. Anyway, from below deck comes Lady Rawhide. She beats up the two guys. There's some gross scenes where she puts, like, a hook through one's face and crushes another guy's larynx. Uh, she goes back to her cabin to change back into, I can't remember what her secret identity is now. But um, her brother's there, and apparently he'd been blinded in the previous miniseries. So it's really kind of gross. He's She's, like, stripping in front of her brother, but he can't see, so I guess that's a little less gross. But then he's talking about, I can tell what you're doing because of the rustling of the clothes, and I'm just like, ew. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this was definitely during that whole bad girl era. Um, Well-written, art's decent, Um. I don't know. It was a weird one. And there's uh, some lady pirate who's, like, skulking around. I can't remember what her name was. Wouldn't be, like, my favorite in the world, but it was a buck. Uh, it has a nice cover, and I've got issue two somewhere, which I'm in no rush to read now. All right, let's hear about your flip book, Kurt. I got a wonderful care package from Roland Mann of Silverline Comics. It was a combination of goodie bag and Kickstarter rewards, and it's a flip book. And it starts off with a title called Sirens. Written by Sidney Williams, penciled by John Drury, inker Chuck Bordell, colorist Barb Kahlberg, and it's set in New Orleans. A man meets a dream girl on the streets. They end up hooking up, and it turns out that this girl is not a regular girl, but she's part of a werewolf cult, and she has now cursed this guy into slowly turning into a zombie, and he is teaming up with her father to try to get rid New Orleans of the werewolf cult and save his life. And it sets up well for the next issue. I didn't really think I would enjoy that one when he described the two books in the flip book format. I was really excited about the other side, but I really enjoyed it. So I'm looking forward to number two. Nice. And is this something that you can only get through Kickstarter? Or is this something he's planning on trying to get into Diamond at some point? I think the long-term plan is he hopes to get the books into Diamond, but Diamond is not very friendly to small publishers. Right. So for the time being, he focuses on convention appearances. They're all available on IndiePlanet.com. Okay. And you can catch him at a show. Or when, when he does launch a Kickstarter, he's lately, because they've added the feature where you can do add-ons to whatever pledge level, you can usually go back and add back issues you may have missed. So he, he does his best to make them available outside of Diamond. Very cool. And what's on the other side? The other side is called Wolf Hunter, and that was the one I was most excited about because it is a cover homage by Stephen Butler of Silver Sable and Spider-Man fame to a famous Russ Heath War cover, and it says, Group Captain James Willard, Englishman, Fighter Ace, Spy Hunter. And the title of the book is Wolf Hunter, written by 
Tim TK, pencils by AJ Cassetta, and inks by John Martin, colors by Martin or Tonin. Hopefully I pronounce those at least where the creators will recognize themselves. He is a British fighter pilot and leader of a squadron, and he's protecting a guy whose plane has malfunctioned, and he ends up getting shot and has to crash land. And while he's in the hospital recovering, he gets recruited to basically become a spy. He's not real interested in becoming a spy, but we learn he's a very observant man, and that's apparently part of being a good spy. And it really sets up well for the next issue with him looking for spies because they know that the Nazis have uh, infiltrated the British ranks. Nice. And this is, I expected to like this one, and thankfully it lived up to the hype, and I really enjoyed it. And so we had another hit there. So if you go to Indie Planet, look for Wolf Hunter. It's it's so funny you said Silverline. I think the first thing I started like uh, conflating the two in my head is like Silver Wolf, and I, that that was the uh, the vigil uh, was, one, wasn't it? Yeah, grips and fat They had a uh, a one shot with Cat and Mouse, which was their flagship title. Right. They revived with the map. And they also had one called Silverstorm, I believe. Okay. Uh, hopefully I'm getting that right in case Roland Mann listens to this and reaches out to me. But his books are always entertaining. Right. All right. Real quick, the last two. Uh, it's funny when I was telling Kristen, I was like, ooh, I'm going to pick four, and then I'll ask Kirk which one he wants me to talk about. And All I, of them. And, and I got to the... I got to Batman, and I was like, I don't know if he'll be interested in that. And she goes, he doesn't like Batman? I was like, I think he likes Batman. It's just I think other stuff interests him more. But um, this one is Batman Gotham Knights. I'm not going to lie. This one it got bought purely for the cover. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's Batman and Bane teaming up. It's Brian Boland cover. It's Batman Gotham Knights number 34. And really quick, the gist of it is exactly that. Um. Tim and Nightwing are discussing with Oracle. They're kind of worried about Bane because um, he's claiming that he's Bruce's brother and they don't think he's reformed and they don't trust him. So they're, they've got this kind of like danger room scenarios they're running in case they have to ever have to fight Bane. And it's really funny because uh, they've got Bane programs saying stuff like, uh, I will crush you and you will hear the lamentations of your women or whatever. <laughs> and, and then Nightwing to end the that sounds familiar, the, right? And Nightwing to end this the the uh, simulation like, breaks Bane's back over his knee. So I was like, that didn't seem very Dick Grayson to begin with, but I thought it was a it was an entertaining issue. Uh, the actual premise of what's going on for the next issue, number thirty five, is there's a woman who had nanite tattoos, and she uh, learns to control them after being. Um, attacked to do things uh, that aren't very nice to people. So, so once she gives somebody a tattoo, she can actually make it attack the person that she's given the tattoo to. So, tattoo two. That's that was too many T's. So that's one that was Gotham Knights number thirty four. And like I say, it's just got a really great cover with uh, Bane and Batman on it. Um, this one seemed right up your alley. And uh, now that you've heard all of them i'm curious to which one you would have picked if we just picked one but this was one i used to have uh two books 
from Blackthorn, and I don't have any either one of them anymore. I had Gumby 3D. Actually, I had three. I forgot that one. I had Gumby 3D, Dick Tracy 3D, and Battle Beast 3D, and I don't have any of them anymore. I got them all from downtown Perry, Georgia. I don't know if the bookstore had them or maybe the Hallmark store had them because they were kind of weird. There was also a stationery store. And if you remember back in the olden days, stationery stores would always have a couple of comics. Don't remember where I got them. Regardless, this was one in a house ad in every single issue. I think of Blackthorn I'd ever read up until <laughs> I actually started getting more Blackthorns. And that's Crow of the Bear Clan, number one. Do you remember that I, one? I do remember that one. Okay, have you I read it? Conan Teddy Bear, if I remember right. Yeah, and he's got a weird kind of almost Fu Manchu mustache because it doesn't really meet in the middle. <laughs> it's really weird. So he's got, okay, so he's got like white fur loincloth with a kind of like weird animal skull thing that Warlord's got. And he's got fur booties, and he's got kind of like a white fur vest, and he's got almost like, it looks like a toupee, to be honest with you. A little bit of, like, just generic brunette hair on top of his head, and then the Fu Manchu mustache, and just the spot of a goatee. Not enough of one to really count. Anyway, Barbarian Bear comes home to find a bunch of reptilian creatures that they're called Sorens in the book quite possibly because Soren was a big X-Men character at that point I would guess or or you know whatever so they've all but murdered all of his village they take him and capture him and it's basically the gist of imagine yeah Conan is a bear but I don't know he's not quite as tough as Conan it I it was fun I liked it had you read it I don't remember if I ever read it or if okay. it was one of those things that I picked up and set to the side and never got to. For a while there, you could find Blackthorn routinely in the bargain boxes. And right. I have I have an affinity for the oddball stuff anyway. And right. they put out some really oddball stuff. So I, I didn't I, – I guess you might say I'm a bigger fan of Blackthorn now than I was when they were actually publishing because at the time – they were a little more expensive. They didn't seem to have the same passion as, say, something that was done by the creators themselves for themselves, like a right. Ninja Turtles or a Troll Lords or something like that. But through the years, I've picked up a lot of them. And a lot of creators started out early work with, with Blackthorn. I know Patrick Zercher did some work for them and Aaron Lepresti. And yep. so occasionally you'll pick one up, look at the credits and go, oh, wow. This must be like one of the first things he ever did. I'm trying to remember what I picked up the other day. Uh, it's because a lot of times what I'll do if I'll have a want list going and if I, all of them will come in at the same time, I'll, I'll just buy a run of something or I'll try one issue of something out right before. Cause you do my comic shop like I do and I, I'll wait till almost to the end and they'll be like, okay. This is my last chance before this box ships. What can I get? Because as long as you get it before that Monday it ships, you usually can get it in the box. Right. But it was, I think it was called Samurai 7, and it was one of the Patricks. I can't remember if it was Patrick Zercher or Patrick Gleason. Do you know that one? I remember the title, but I can't picture it. Some, some, usually when you say a name, I can remember at least the cover image, and I can't remember that one. 
Okay. Well, that's one I, it was only three issues and I, I bought all of them. And I, I, I don't know if you got to hear the last episode we did, uh, Rob and I of, um, the other show we do, Geek Brunch. Um, I that told sounds him, like a fun show. I should, I should, <laughs> but I should try I, to be involved with that someday. I have a rule that, um, if it, I don't like them when they're too wordy because I like to, when I'm actually doing a real synopsis, I like to go through it page by page. And if they're too wordy, I, I, I feel like I, I'm more apt to get lost or stumble. And so that was one I had tonight is potentially reading, but it was very verbose. And I was like, okay, this one's a little too wordy for tonight. In case I do an in-depth review, I'm putting it to the side. But uh, it, it looks like good stuff, good artwork. Um, so, Blackthorn. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I've read recently, Blackthorn. I, I, they're one of those. What did you end up getting out of that um, record store pull that I sent you, the blind bag? Do you remember? I don't remember there being any Blackthorn in it. I, okay. I want to say it was mostly like 90s DC dollar box books. but Okay. The the stuff I had been buying from them up to the point where they bagged the remainder was anything indie that I had either A, never seen, B, never read, or <laughs> I don't even know what letter we're on now, F, I probably wouldn't have given an F in the the year it came out. How's that? So... <laughs> Just anything weird and off the wall was what I was trying to buy from them because they were down. Right. They, you know, they were constantly buying books, buying books, buying books, and they got down to yeah, it was a lot of, a lot of DC, a lot of like I want to say, remember Red Bar Marvels where Marvels a few years ago would have the red on, across the bottom. I don't remember that. I remember I like even. the banner saying like in memoriam of Stan Lee. Is that? No, that's not, not what it is. No. So like for a couple of I don't even know if it was two whole years, but it was for a while. They would have just a red stripe at the bottom and it would have whatever, you know, you needed to know about, like what issue it was, the price, the barcode and Marvel. And it was just super, super thin paper. I remember at one point uh, they kind of got called out on it by Eric Larson. He said, this is the same kind of paper that, you know is the inside of it. They basically are selling coverless comics because it's the same quality paper for the cover as they were doing on the insides. Well, I do remember that controversy, but I don't remember the red bar necessarily. Yeah. So anyway, it was a lot of that era of books, you know, what was the one fella that was uh, from the movies? Um, Agent Coulson, when he had his own shield series, uh, when Jubilee was a vampire, I know you don't really do X-Men. I'm trying to think what else you would have been reading in that era. The Winter Soldier series was running in that era. The Tradmore, um, Uncanny Avengers with Modoc in it. You know, so just a few years before maybe Marvel Now or maybe it was like, oh man. Anyway. I have read. It was a lot of those like early uh well actually probably like 2016 2017 that era you know just I've a few less marvel in the last few years than i probably have in all the years before because they just have rebooted so much they've just lost me on many things where now even if i find say a captain america in the dollar box i'm like i'm just going to be lost with that one issue so i'll just skip it and pick up something weird like a a crow of the bear clan you know right <laughs> yeah i i um 
I think my my last order because I I just put in a new one and I think I I think I told you guys we're we're doing the Dave Ramsey so everything's tightened up in general right but, um uh my the bulk of my stuff that's not mainstream indie is uh image and probably DC probably make over two thirds of my order. And there's like a book or two of Star of uh, Marvel, the bulk of it being Star Wars, and God, I don't even know what I ordered, but because now that Conan's gone, I pre—I mean, I'm jumping off of Savage Avengers, and that was my favorite book there for a while. Um, but he's going to be going to Titan, I believe. So I'm not even going to be uh, even getting the Savage Avengers anymore because now it's just turned into just another weird version of the Avengers. Where right. they're like fighting Deathlock in the future or something. So I've gotten through the, the Conan run of it and I'm out. So hopefully Conan I'm will be good at Titan. That, that Titan is getting Conan. I'm, I mean, if you had to pick somebody, I would have thought it might go back to Dark Horse or something. I was, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what they do. Me too. Um, have you, uh, have you read any of the Frank Frazetta death? Whatever it is, death de- is it Death Dealer? Death Dealer. I have not read it, but I've been buying it. Um, uh, Ed Moore and I have an affinity for Joe Lindsner, and okay. they've had a lot of Lindsner covers, so I've picked those up, of course. Yeah, and it's in my to read soon box, which is about as high a priority as you get, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, I I read them. I it's 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 interesting. I I, I want to hear what you think when you get around to those. That was good stuff. Okay. Um, yeah. The, uh, anyway, that's what I'm wondering. You know, there's been all these like type Conan type books at indie places lately. There was that. It was a Blaze was doing like some, were they like, is it, what, what is up with the Blaze? Are they basically like a publisher who republishes stuff from other countries? Well, you know? I know that's what, I know that's what they were doing with the, the Cimmerian line. Okay. But, that's uh, what I was going to say. Yeah. I don't know if that's the entirety of what they're putting out but i think i think it was uh lucky target comics you know my favorite uk british retailer right i think it was her that tweeted a picture of one of the albums like it was i think it was in french or something and it just looked gorgeous yeah and i looked on ebay and of course they weren't cheap in the first place and then shipping from like france or italy or wherever was just crazy so i was really excited when they started publishing them but i I've fallen behind on that as I do almost everything. I um read the one I don't remember what it was, is Animal Something and it had like the big bull on the cover. It, but it had that feel to it because you know how you would get um two thousand AD or what was the one that Liefeld did the covers for? Berserker where you could tell that it was obviously magazine size because it was shrunken down and there was a lot of white at the top and bottom. Right. Yeah, that's how that one looked, too. And then I can't remember what it was, Animal Kingdom or something like that. It was really good, but it had that feel like, okay, this was in a graphic album or magazine size property, and it got moved around and shrunk down to be put in it. But, yeah. yeah so, the albums look better. So, 80s-wise, if you could go back and not – Something predictable like Batman or or anything mainstream. 
What publisher, if you could go back and pick up everything by, which publisher would it be? So, like I say, not Marvel or DC, something, some one of the smaller ones. Well, I'd probably go with Mirage if I could start from the beginning because that Ninja Turtles has been a favorite of mine since I discovered them. Okay. And I passed on number one as a back issue because I think it was like $100 at the time. And I was like, that's, sure. that's crazy money. You know, I'm never paying $100. And now, of course, if you found one for 100 you'd be like, what forms of payment do you take? You know? Right. But uh, I just loved the Ninja Turtles. And I was sending away for Gizmo when they branched out into other titles. I think it was like a dollar fifty plus fifty cent shipping and handling to have them send the issue to you. And I wonder. I wonder what if, if it came like in like a, a special envelope or did stuff just get thrown in a, a bag back then? I don't even remember. I think it was just a an unbagged comic put in like a Manila envelope. That's what plain, I would have guessed. Just a plain envelope with a. I think it had like a stamp at the top that said like Mirage Publishing or something because it it looked really official on their return of address if i remember right and i was excited i was so excited to get something from the publisher directly and it wasn't you know it was almost like getting a a, a letter from somebody that you were excited by i at one point i had saved the envelope to it but i i think it got lost or destroyed when the roof leaked or something i think the only thing i still have packaging wise um is my dc challenges I don't know if you remember this, but the the backer board they came with was like a subscription card. I had so, forgotten that. It might have been you. Somebody mentioned that the the DC wasn't in the plain brown wrapper like Marvel. It came in right. a clear bag with the DC logo on it, and then had yep. the backer board. And I was like, "Yep, oh yeah, yep." Those those are the only ones I still have. That was um that was the subscription. Uh, the subscription I remember because they had the backer boards and they were really cool because it was basically just a huge subcard. Right. Um, I don't know if you've done the the scout boxes, uh, sub boxes, but they kind of do something interesting with them now. Their uh, backer boards for their at least for a while. I don't know if the newest one had them. In fact, I don't think it did. But they're actually ads of future releases. So like uh you get your sub box which is 12 books I think about a third of the backer boards will be like for a different comic than what's actually you know that you're about to read which I always well, thought was kind of cool. I do buy from Scout but I haven't seen with a specific book that I remember. I remember like some of them just have the the Black Caravan logo on the back of the sure. backer board. And just say, you know, Black Caravan Publishing, a Scout imprint or something along those lines. But yeah, I, I just I just find little oddities like that really cool. Yeah, the um they're they're I think one of my favorite little publishers right now because they just I don't know, they seem to put a high amount of quality into their work. Um I'm big fan of them and source source point. Um and I, I talking with the people at source point through um through emails, they seem like really nice people too. I think they're like out of Michigan, maybe, because I know Scout's out of Florida. Yeah, I knew Scout was Florida. I don't know where Source Point is. Yeah, I think they're, I think they're in the Midwest, and I, I don't want to swear to it, but I think they're. Uh, I think they might be Michigan. So, okay, so you got your turtles. Outside of Mirage, what was your favorite publisher when you what? were going to comic book stores? DC, I was a DC guy for the most part okay. because my 
My favorite books were Sergeant Rock and G.I. Combat and Jonah Hex and Atari Force. And I really got into their, you know, offbeat titles like Amazing Man and uh, Blue Devil and Booster Gold were two of my favorite superhero books. And I felt like I was in the in on the ground floor with those. And, you know, the relaunches of things like Flash and Wonder Woman and Superman were really exciting when they that was the first time they'd been done in 50 years. Right. You know, you know, after they've done 50 in the last 40 years, it's not as much fun. <laughs> oh, sure. I I was not a fan of Flash until the Wally West Flash. Um, and this is one of those I feel guilty about saying sometimes, but uh, Carmine, I did not like his art. That trial of Flash, anytime a friend of mine would have one of those issues and Big Sur was on the cover, I'd be just like, oh, no thanks. Um, if you got a G.I. Joe, I can read. You know what I mean? I just yeah. His art just really turned me off. Um, I have since changed my mind on the next person I'm going to say, but another one that if you put it in front of my face at the time, I'd be like gross was Gene Colan. And I am so different on that one now, but I remember when a friend of mine, Kevin Kasuda showed me, uh, night force number one. And he also had, uh, given me some detectives, uh, that Gene Colan did is I just absolutely hated the art on this. <laughs> Which is funny to me now because now I mean Gene's absolutely fabulous and I I think I think his stuff got more and more atmospheric. You know, you get his uh, Daredevil and his Tomb of Dracula. It's atmospheric, but I think it gets even further and further out once he gets into the DC stuff in the eighties. And um, I think it was just too much for me at the time. I didn't I didn't get it. You know what I mean? Well, I was the same way. I think the Tomb of Dracula is really what started me on the trail of okay well it works in this book right and i started to have a better appreciation for it and i credit a lot of that to the anchor tom palmer i sure. think he made i think he makes everybody look better but yeah i, I gene colon was it was kind of abstract and murky and it took right. me a while to really get it i guess you could say you know, yeah, I, I was more I was more for detail like Russ Heath versus the abstract and murky and, and exaggerated of Gene Colan. But I, the, and back to Carmine, the other one is, oh, I, I hate, hate, hated his uh, Star Wars stuff. Oh, yeah. And and the and Howard Chaykin, who's one of my favorite artists, his work on Star Wars. I didn't care for that either. It wasn't sure. until much later in the run. I, I had a few Star Wars that had come from yard sales and thrift stores, but I didn't start buying it. Until issue number 65. I bought number 65 with Princess Leia on the cover. I, okay. At least I think that's the issue number. And from then on, I was hooked until the end. But the early issues with Carmine and, and Howard Chaykin, I was like, eh, I don't, I don't really like this. <laughs> well, his Chewbacca looked just weird. Yeah. You know, and um, what were we watching? I think it was Solo the other day. We were watching Solo, and they had a a Wookiee in it that had almost uh, like what were there fur people in Land of the Lost? Uh, yeah, there was Chaka, I think was his name. Was yeah, like the little that's right. One. Okay, yeah. So anyway, this Wookiee didn't look like Chewbacca. It looked like like that, where it had like a human face but like a <laughs> ring around its head of fur. I was like, what the bleep? This looked like Howard Chaykin drew it. Uh, uh, uh a Wookiee from Land of the Lost or something. I mean, it just, I don't know, it just really threw me. But that's what it made me think of is 
those weird Howard Chaykin drawings of Chewbacca from that, uh, I don't know, first handful of issues of Star Wars. I don't think he was on there for too terribly long. It makes me wonder if that was a, an Easter egg for people who had read the the early issues going, these are so <laughs> off model. And you know, right. we'll, we'll throw this in the background of this. And see who, I think see some of the times they do that with some of these, like, um, these little side projects that they're doing, like, uh, the, the Disney stuff, not so much like the, um, Force Awakens and the, the mainstream Skywalker stuff, but like, like Mandalorian and, and, uh, and Solo and Rogue One. Sometimes I think, yeah, maybe these are Easter eggs for people who have, uh, read stuff or watched stuff or, you know, not necessarily only seen the Star Wars movies because, right. yeah. It feels like a deep cut every once in a while, but I just I just saw that it's like oh my god that looks like Chaykin's thing come to life. <laughs> yeah, those so, early issues were not very appealing art wise, but but when I became such a fan and HBO got it, and we didn't have HBO, it was scrambled, but the audio came right. through fine. I would sit there and listen to the movie as I flipped through the comics <laughs> to follow along right. because at at about ten years old I was just absolutely insane over Star Wars. I was going to ask you, did you have the initial comics? I did. I didn't. Okay. Have, I mean, they weren't first prints. They were just sure, sure. most of them were beat up because most of my early comics came from the flea market or yard sales right. or thrift stores. And because my mother was addicted to those things and she would usually back then everybody had comics. You know, every kid, even if it wasn't a collector or a reader, had a couple of comics just about. Right. You know, their parents would clean up their room and toss out some of their comics in the yard sale. And if my mother was out and saw them, she'd get herself some yarn and get me some comics. Yeah, I think the first time I ever read it was um, the super special was bound library style at the Perry Public Library. And I don't remember what it was, maybe the first four issues. And I don't know how many times I must have read the thing. It would just read it over and over and over and over. And that would have been by the 80s. So it would have already been a few years old by then anyway. It was well, well beat up library book before I ever got to read it and got a hold of it. But so when you were getting comics after flea markets and, and whatnot, where, where were you going to comic book stores? Where, what was your experience with comic book stores? Well, the town I grew up in, well, I mean, I'm actually in a little town outside of a big city, and the city would have a comic store for a little while. We had okay. like, we had like three of them growing up, and I don't I don't know that any one of them made it a full year, and mm-hmm. one and one of them was just terrible about not being open when they said they would be. You know, you'd beg your parents to take you to the comic store, and you'd get there, and there'd be a sign in the window saying. Back in five minutes, had to run an errand. And my mom, if she had, had taken me, she might sit there for 20 minutes to give him time to get back, and he never would show. Like, damn right. it. You know, you just wasted begging for the trip to the store for nothing. So right. I didn't really have a regular LCS, but we did have a wonderful place called Lowell's, which was just a gigantic – well, I say it was gigantic. It was probably, you know, three or four Walden books size if you took that little outlet in the mall and stacked right. three of them side by side that's about how big it was and they had they rented movies on on vhs and betamax they had magazines and books and probably a little candy section and 
it was just a really nice newsstand. And, and that was my primary source for most of my life up through, you know, probably 18, 19 years old. So did they have stuff like um, Kamiko or, or was it pretty much Marvel and DC Archie only? It was whatever was available to the newsstand. Now, at one point, okay. at one point, Kamiko or Kamiko, however, I, I usually say Kamiko. However, okay. they, whenever they went to the newsstand for a while there, they carried it. The only thing I don't ever remember seeing were the treasuries. They were still treasuries being made. And I don't remember right. ever seeing treasuries new on the shelf at any point in my life. Uh, but they would have the Marvel Super Special magazine size stuff. They would have. Um, that, I was just about to ask you about that. Uh, did you remember those like when they would have Tarzan and then they'd redo it in like single issues? I, you know, I, I saw the, the magazine size and some some of them I would buy. Like if it was Indiana Jones, I bought those. Sure. And I bought Last Starfighter, but most of the time I would buy the individual comics because that was right. easier. That was easier to budget a you know a seventy five cent comic versus a two fifty magazine. Right. Although I I preferred the magazine format. It was a budget decision as a kid. You know you you only probably had two dollars to your name. So right. You had to make it last. You go okay. I can get like two comics and a candy bar. What? What yep. am I going to choose? Yeah, that was when the, that was when I, I think my favorite is when they were still fifty cents. Um, when I first started buying comics, because that was easy. If you had, I got like a dollar every couple of weeks, and I'm like, boom, that's two comics. I'm done. Right. And and then when they got to sixty and sixty five, it got harder because I'm like, uh, I'm a, I never got like a dollar twenty allowance or a dollar thirty allowance, so you'd always have to try to figure out how to be able to afford to get the the sixty sixty five cent comics. I always think of the sixty five cent comics. That was for for whatever reason indelibly in my brain, and it's probably because that's what I was buying. I think sixty five cent comics. I think of Star. Yes, I do too. Because all of those were weren't they all sixty five cents? I think At least they initially. all started out as 65, yes. Okay. Yeah, and and that's when I really I, – I'm not trying to get into my comics origin, but <clears throat> I, I remember when I became an, an avid buyer of comics was around Star's Launch and Crisis and Who's Who. Those were like – because I was kind of getting G.I. Joe's, but half of them were, I was getting like from Friends – you know, wasn't and it'd be if I lucked across one. But as I'm starting to buy, branch out and actually buy stuff, um, and not just get it from trades, because I would get stuff like Micronauts from trades, I get Teen Titans from trades. Um, I was the kid always would, uh, I'd trade whatever, I'd trade bubblegum cards, because uh, I used to get uh, the Star Wars Empire Strikes Back cards. I don't know how many of those I had. I had so many doubles. It was ridiculous. I don't have them anymore, but I'm sure I had at least a couple of sets worth. And I would trade those to for, I'll give you six of these for that new Teen Titans you've already read to rags, you know. <laughs> and, uh, I didn't that's, do much trading, but I would, I was enterprising. I figured out early little things to do. Like at one point, I don't know if you remember Coke, would have contests like you could spell out something and sometimes mm -hmm. they have instant prizes like win a dime this this lid is worth 10 cents right and i had a magnet on a shoelace that i would drop in the coke machine in the grocery store pull out all the <laughs> pull, 
pull out all the lids and then take them up front and cash in the 10 cent lids. And sometimes nice. I'd have enough to go on and buy a comic book. And, Do you remember when they had football players on those? Yeah, there was like uh, Steve Bartkowski of the Falcons was one of them, I believe. Yeah. Okay, because I've told people about that before, and they and I, I wasn't sure if they remembered that or not. Because I remember uh, the lady we lived next door to, we had uh, we had a whole neighborhood of elderly uh, neighbors, and one of the ladies I would go over there, she'd let you have a coke, and and every time um you'd have a coke, I remember it had football it, for a few months, it had football lids, and I would ask her anytime she had one if I could have a lid, so. I just remember collecting those. I had them for years and years, and inevitably that was one of the things that got thrown out. Yeah, I, I had them. I had saved ones with the player images and whatnot, but I, I'm sure that got rusty and got tossed at some point. Yeah. So what do you think was your first comic? Do you remember? Or was it like – me where it was like more like I remember the first couple that I actually purchased purchased. I remember the first issue of Sergeant Rock that I bought new, but I had my I had already discovered that was my guy right. through a few random issues that I found at you know the the thrift stores and yard sales and stuff. But the biggest influence on what made me the fan I am was my mother went to Goodwill almost every day during the summer. We would go mm-hmm. run errands, go to the grocery store, and go to the thrift stores. And there was about a stack of, I'd say about 100, late 60s, early 70s, mostly DC war comics. And I I liked some comics, and I was really interested in the military stuff. And Mom let me pick about half the stack. And I went home, and I was ADHD. I drove everybody crazy. And I just <laughs> sat, I sat in the car looking at them all the way home when we got home. I just sat in the corner and just looked through them because I couldn't even read yet. I was right. just looking at them and flipping through them. And she was like, oh, my gosh, I found something to buy me some peace. So we, sure. went, we went back to the store the next day, and thankfully the other half of the stack was still there. And she nice. bought the, the other half of the stack. And that was just really what turned me from comics or just another form of entertainment to this is my thing. I want to do this the rest of my life. I got you. And I was, I, here's one. Do you remember, did you ever have a Buster Brown growing up? Yes. Do there you remember a, like the, the little like. March of comics. Yes. Do you remember those? Yes. That, I, that was the only reward for going to the shoe store was hopefully, hopefully you'd get a March of comics with your shoes. I think Sears gave them away as well with their they did yep and do you have any of yours still i do somewhere yes oh that's awesome i had a separate box that i kept odd size stuff like archie digest the march of comics the he-man mini comics and thankfully they survived and they didn't get stolen and most of them are not in great shape but i still have them that's very cool. That was one of those. I, it, it, half the people I bring it up to don't even remember them. And, um, and, and like I say, that's one where mine are like long gone. I don't even know what happened to those. So Our Buster well, Brown had like a life-size statue of Buster Brown that was actually a helium tank inside. And when you got your shoes, you got your March of Comics, and then they would fill up a balloon for you. They the The name of our store was Dub Cones Buster Brown. 
Okay. And it would have the store logo on the balloon. It was a yellow balloon, and they'd fill that up, and you'd get a balloon and your pair of shoes and your and your March of Comics. And thankfully, my sister would usually let me have her March of Comics. And nice. unfortunately, it was usually the same issue, but I would use that to either trade or something like that. Because I, even back then, I didn't like to trade unless I had a double of it. Right. So, you know, now anything that's not Marvel or DC is called indie. So theoretically, Archie is indie, which I have a hard time wrapping my head around because Archie was like mainstream as I I think you can get. Yeah. Um and to me, I don't think Harvey or Golkey or any of that stuff is indie comics. So taking those off the board, do you remember what your first indie book was? Uh, I wonder if it was the Ninja Turtles. Okay. I, it would, I would guess that it would came through New England Comics when okay. I started ordering from them in the mid-80s. And it might have been a Ninja Turtles. Okay. Either that, now, we, or, either that or Cerebus. That would be my my guess. One of those two. Yeah, I was going to say if I if I am honest with myself, I always think it was Boris, but it could have been it could have been one of the Robotechs because I got those pretty early, uh, pretty early on as well because I had a handful of Robotechs. Uh, not Macro Saga, because those were the ones that everybody actually wanted. So I had the crap ones, uh, which was Masters. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, nobody, I, nothing against Dana Sterling. I know, like, our buddy Ange really, really likes Dana Sterling. Um, but he, everybody wanted Macro Saga. That was, that was the cool one, because that was the one that had the cool fighters. And, um, I had those pretty early on, and I had, an issue of Johnny Quest, which I recently replaced out of that do- one of those dollar bin runs I was talking about earlier. And um, but I got that Boris the Bear, and it's not the one everybody thinks it's going to be. It's not the one where he slaughters all the animals. I got the actual uh, Transformer one first, where he goes against basically anything that's a robot. So you know, <laughs> Robotech. Raj 3000, the lost, uh, lost in space robot, Robbie the robot, all that stuff. And, um, that was my first introduction. Definitely, th- that was definitely my first black and white book. I, uh, later got in a trade some early turtles, Raphael number one and the Leonardo number one. But do you still have th- those? I do, yeah. Have um, you seen what Raphael goes for now? No, it's it's apparently a very expensive book now, and I had no idea. I thought maybe fifty dollars, and I think I saw one that was kind of a mid grade for like three hundred the other day. Well, mine would be mine would probably be kindly mid grade. Um, I'm I'm sure if I'm lucky, somebody might say it's Vici, <laughs> but it's probably it's probably more in the G range. A lot of those with those black borders on those old black and white books, they would the just uh, on the spine is they, they don't show where actually they do show show wear well too, way too well. So and the Raphael was oversized, so you couldn't just store it in your regular comic box. So yeah, most of those got beat up. Yeah, and uh, that Leonardo number one though, which is funny to me because Leonardo was never my favorite character. Uh, he's probably he's got that whole Cyclops leader thing where I think he's kind of vanilla and boring. Um, 
that that one shot though, I think that is one of my favorite turtle issues ever. Uh, I think that's the cover I probably drew the most was that Leonardo number one. But yeah, it's just uh, it was him fighting his way through the the foot or the feet. Would you say the feet? I think well, you say the foot. I, I think that's probably what it should be. But <laughs> I think they say the foot. <laughs> Not what anybody says. Yeah, so he's fighting his way through him, and he gets back to the uh, April's place, and they, he's just had the the crap kicked out of him. That's that's one of my all time favorites. But yeah, um, so what about first and um, Eclipse? Were you were you buying those at the time, or is that something that you picked up later on? It was at least a year after publication, I would guess. At some point, okay, regular my regular comic dealer at the flea market started carrying boxes of what she called deluxe comics. And it was okay. first comics and Eclipse and stuff. And I think what first caught my eye was um, John Sable. And it had a, a MIA two-part, two or three-part story where it told his days in Vietnam. So, of course, that, that looked interesting, and I tried it. And then I was just like, wow, first comics rule. So then I got into American Flag and a couple of other titles. But right at the time, I don't even know if I knew what they were. I was just like, "What is this?" And she had uh, Pacific Comics with Captain Victory, and I was like, "Okay, I know that Kirby guy. What is this?" Were you a Kirby person as a kid? Not for a while. It, okay, <laughs> it took a while for me to because, like, I had some of his losers issues, and everybody had mm-hmm. you know square fingers and. Like, and why is it when you punch him, there's little pieces of, of him flying off? How is that possible? Why does the pistol have a, a little pinhole opening? That's not the way a pistol looks. So <laughs> right. I was like, this this is not accurate at all. But then after a while, I think it was probably some early Fantastic Four he had done. And then I was like, well, I really like his thing. And right. That really probably started me on the path of, okay, he's pretty cool after all. I, I've heard so many people say that they didn't like him. I think because so much of my early comic reading came from those um, what were those early trades called? They're Fire something. Fireside, I think. Fireside, yeah. So the the public library had Bring on the Bad Guys. They had uh, what was the Stanley presents the Women of Marvel or something? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. It was anyway. Yeah, and they had um, Son of Origins. And they, they didn't have Son of Origins. They had just uh, Mar Origins. Uh, and so, because those three books, there's a lot of Kirby in those. And um, I guess because of that, I did. I never thought he was that weird. I I thought it looked old fashioned when you would get superpowers and it had his drawings in it. Um, but it never, it never. And it never turned me off like I've heard a lot of people say, you know, because I think that's pretty common of people of mine your age. Or like, Ugh, Kirby took me a while to like. And I was like, well, I don't know, because I wasn't reading modern comics because we just weren't allowed to buy them a lot when I was really little. And uh, that was what I was able to get from the library. I just I didn't think much of it. But the same thing like Golden Age comics. I was never weirded out by those because um, what was it called? Uh Superman 30s to the 70s was probably one of the first things I ever read that wasn't just a regular issue. And I just read it over and over and over. So and that was, you know, ton of Golden Age stuff. I might have thought it was funny that he was always so squinty in those early ones, you know. 
Right. I don't think they ever ever had Superman with like wide open eyes. <laughs> <laughs> he was sleepy. Yeah, apparently. But um so did you have any of those kind of early trades? I don't remember ever having them early on. Okay. I think I think most of my reprints, you know, like Marvel's greatest comics reprinted a lot of Kirby and that probably introduced me to a sure. Fantastic Four work. And a lot, most of the time, the annuals and oversized specials would have reprints of the Golden Age stuff. So that exposed you to it. And a lot of the treasuries that came from flea markets would have reprints in them. But I don't, I don't think I got the trades and stuff like that until later on. I think one of the first times me and you really talked was about one of the fire side ones, um, the DC one, uh, because we were talking about the war one they put out. And I was like getting your opinion on how much to spend on it. Was it worth the money and yada, yada. And that is, I think the only fireside when I own, I have, um, three of the, the series that are the, the thirties to the, well, I don't know the thirties to the seventies. I don't remember what they called the Shazam one. It's not thirties to the seventies, but whatever it was called, forties to the sixties, whatever in the world it was. I have the Shazam and the Batman and the Superman, but I only ever got one of the Fireside ones, and that's the DC one. Well, that DC one is just legendarily good, and I wanted that thing for years because of the ads they ran in the in the DC comics for it. And it took me a long time to ever find a copy, and I think I paid, I don't know, like $15 when I was an early teen for it, which was a sure. lot of money for a single book. Oh, yeah. Now, I was just when, so happy um, to find a copy. I was like, "Oh my gosh, it exists!" I was gonna say, "What? What are? What was one of the house ads that really stands out to you?" Because we kind of mentioned that with um, the the crow. What's one of those house ads that when you finally found it in the wild that you got really excited? I can think of one immediately of a house ad that I just saw over and over, and when I finally got it, I was like, "Oh my god, I'm actually holding this." There was an issue of Our Army at War with Sergeant Rock. I think it's number 208, and that's like Easy Company is fighting some Nazis at night. They're all just punching, and it's kind of formed a circle, and there's a child in the center of it. And I think the story is called A Piece of Rag, A Hank of Hair. And it seemed like it was in every comic I read, but I couldn't ever find that comic. And it just taunted me for years, and... I think I think I've only ever seen that issue in the wild. I mean, you could order it on eBay any day, probably. Sure. I think I've only ever seen it in the wild like three or four times. Which, when you look through as many boxes of war and western comics as I have, that's not that's not a common issue. So, when you were buying from a newsstand, what kind of and, and you said it was Lowell's? What kind of selection did they have? I mean, did it rotate a lot? Did they have the same? Same titles in and out, or what well, What was it like buying from there? Well, Lowell's, for the most part, stocked everything on the newsstand. I mean, they had a rack of, here's the DC, here's the Marvel, here's the, you know, Harvey and Charlton and Archie and whatnot. And, I mean, they just had these sturdy bookcase racks of comics set up. And right. if you could get to that store... You, and it wasn't sold out, you could find almost anything because they were involved in the distribution of the comics to the spinner racks at the gas stations and grocery stores and whatnot. So I got gotcha. you. 
it might be easier to look at the comics at the you know the food line or whatever with my dad but they may not have they're only going to have a small fraction of what lowell's had so if i could get there before it sold out and thankfully usually that was my treat for whatever like if i went to the orthodontist and got my braces tightened we would swing by lowell's to get a couple comics you know so if it was you know a special occasion or we're running errands and thankfully i grew up in a family of readers so they wanted to go look at the books and magazines and stuff anyway. Sure. But so then I would get to go look at my stuff. So I was I always, very, very fortunate in that aspect. I always think of uh, the mall and Walden books because of that reason. Um, you get to go, and I was uh, into a couple of things. I was into comics. I was into the science fiction adaptations, whether it was uh, Star Wars or Doctor Who or whatever. And then I, I like Agatha Christie. So those were like the three things. And I had like the, the science fiction membership and the mystery membership to, uh, Walden books. But I just remember they had that cool spinner where it's almost like, it was like black plastic and plexi. Do you remember those? Yeah. You couldn't really see all the covers either on there, if I remember right. Yeah. But they never were in as bad a shape as what a typical spinner rack would be. Yeah. Either. They, they supported the issue better. Yeah. And uh, that I always think of getting comics from them, and that would be one of the big exciting things. And I know you've been to the Macon Mall. Uh, I would always get so excited when it was Walden Books, because if I was lucky, I'd get to get probably two comics in a paperback. And if I wasn't lucky, I'd get the paperback. <laughs> well, uh, at least but, you didn't walk away with nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess the one I remember the house had most was um, it was a one-off Giffen uh spinoff of uh, Legion of Superheroes. It was the Legion of Substitute Heroes. And I just remember seeing that that house ad in every DC book. I swear for like, and I know it couldn't have been. It felt like for like a year and a half it was in every book I bought. But I'm sure it was probably only in maybe a couple of months worth. I don't remember how long they they ran at uh, special and annual ads. It felt like a lot longer than they do now. But uh, I just... I just remember seeing that for years and years and years because I was I that's another thing. The memory tricks you because in my head, I just assumed that the thing that we stopped at to buy comics from. That they were D.C. heavy, but you know what? It could have been being post crisis that that's all I wanted to look at could have been the D.C. books. They may have had plenty of Marvel and I just was ignoring them. Right. You you found what you wanted in that slot and then you didn't care about the rest you, exactly you the two anyway right so i remember seeing lots of dc books there but you know they could have had a lot of marvels the only marvels i remember ever being really because i liked x-men but i don't remember buying a lot of x-men off the rack the only one i would go out of my way to buy off the rack was uh the starbucks and gi joe and um and I, I just I don't remember ever being able to like keep up. And even like stuff I was trying to buy every month, like Flash, I'll have you know one through three or four, and then there'll be two months I can't find it, and then it'll start back up again because you just small small Georgia town, it would just very hit and miss what would actually be on the shelf. Yeah, because most of the if you didn't have a place like Lowell's. You didn't know what you would find when you ventured into the spinner rack. Yeah. Like, it, 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 the crisis I had, 
random issues of it for years. I don't think I ever read Crisis front to back until the trade came out with that Alex Ross cover. God, I would have been working for the senator's office. That would have been like in the early 2000s. So it took me 20 years to read the whole crisis. Um, And I'm trying to think what else was like that. There's a couple of series where I was just, oh, Atari Force. Uh, That was one of the big deals for me, uh, finishing Atari Force and finishing Who's Who. Uh, Who's Who, I, not that it's cheating, but our buddy Chris Sheehan, he always says he has to find it in the wild. Um, I had to order some of the who's who's from uh, Mile High. And that was the first thing I ever completed front to back was when I, I got the all 26 issues of who's who. And a couple of those are in really not good shape, but I do have the full set. And then Atari Force was the next one. And that one even, I don't know that I counted as completed until I got the special. And that was... That's probably since I've known you when I finally got that special. Um, and Sun Devils, that was another big one for me. Uh, I really like those DC sci-fi. Sh- they were doing some interesting stuff in the 80s with the, the sci-fi. A, that's a forgotten classic to me. I, yeah. I really enjoy, I don't know if I ever completed the series, but the ones I had, I really, really enjoyed. Yeah, that's one. If people ever ask me what's something that's kind of forgotten about from D.C., that's one I always recommend. Wasn't there uh, a female that smoked cigars in that series? Oh, yeah. She was a giant. Yeah, she's super tall because there there's the cat girl. There's the guy where there's, like, duplicates of him. There's the main guy. There's the lizard guy. And then the giant lady with the cigars. Yeah. I can't remember any of the names. It's been years since I've read it. And, uh. There's, yeah. there's like a phantom lady too or something, but yeah, it's good stuff. That was one of the books that she would put in her box with, uh, you know, like first comics because it was part of her deluxe line. So they, those were fifty cents instead of the standard quarter. Yeah. Well, buddy, I got to wrap up. It is a work day tomorrow, and I'm going to have to get up early. But uh, we'll have to do this again sometime and actually sit and do in depth of a couple of issues. Sounds like a plan. I sure enjoy talking comic books with you. Um, so you can reach the show at 21st Century Boys, this 2-1-S-T-C-E-N-B-O-Y-S at Twitter. And Kirk, where can they find you? I am at Big Five Army on the Twitter and the Instagram. Nice. And I am I was Joe, I-O-W-A-S-J-O-E. And thanks for listening to us tonight. Have a good night. Good night, y'all.